Romans chapter 7 in your Bibles. We'll begin reading at verse 22. Romans 7, verse 22. Let's hear the Lord's word. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And the Lord will add his blessing to that reading from his word for his name's sake. Would you power with me for a moment around the throne? We all need the Lord's help, we need his grace. And he said, go to the throne of grace to obtain it. So let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Let's seek him together. Eternal God, we come in Christ's name to that throne of grace. We know that thou art not a stingy God, but a God full of compassion, one who takes great delight in giving and giving and giving again. We rejoice to know that there is no end to thy giving. Never will there come a day when thy love will run dry. Never will there be an age when the mercy of God ceases to be shown to his people. Tonight, Lord, we pray for much mercy to be given. We need it to understand the word of the Lord. We need it, Lord, to properly explain the Scriptures so that the minister delivers the true message of God and not his own concoctions. Grant, Lord, help to preach the truth in love and with conviction and confidence that this is the word of the Lord. Our God, we pray, it will be received with meekness. And thy people will grow in likeness to Christ through it. In his name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Well, we take up for a fourth time this Lord's Day evening this matter of the Christian's great dilemma, our big problem in life, the the one problem that causes the Christian most trouble more than any other, the one thing that perplexes him more than any other, the one thing that causes him more heartache and frustration than any other, is sin, his own sin, his own acts of disobedience to God's Word, his own willful and wicked works of the flesh. For when he would do good, he finds that evil is still present with him. The desire to do good, the holy, honest desire to do good has not eradicated evil from his life. 
So much so is the evil with him that just how, how to perform that which is good, which is right and pleasing to the Lord on a consistent basis. Just how to overcome the strength of the sin that's in his heart. He can't, for the life of him, come up with the power to do it. He can't. He tries a lot of things to overcome these sins. He tries making new resolutions. Oftentimes at the beginning of a new year. Believing that this next incoming year is going to be different than last. But he's not too far into the new year when he finds that it's like it was last year. The change of the date on the calendar didn't make a change in his heart. Setting down the resolutions didn't bring about any lasting change. Nothing stuck. Still, the battle rages on with sin. He tries making vows to God, promising that he will do better. He tries suppressing his sinful desires and actions that always try to to rear up in his heart. But nothing seems to work. And he cries out because of this awful, awful sense of the powerlessness of his, uh, in, against his indwelling sin. He, he cries out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? Who can deliver me? from this body of death. And such has been the story of every child of God. Some way, shape, or form, lived out in various ages, times, places, circumstances, but it's always been the same old story. This is our great dilemma as Christians, our sin. It's been my aim in studying this passage just to see what instruction the Scriptures give to the child of God who has to face this constant and daily struggle with sin. At this point, we have seen that the real reason for this inner conflict in the heart of every believer is that there are two opposing forces to opposing principles at work. There is this new nature created by the Holy Spirit at the point of regeneration when that, that soul was brought from darkness into God's marvelous light by an act of the Holy Ghost brought from death unto life and that, that soul was made a new creation in Christ Jesus and at that point in time there was a new principle put within him by the Holy Ghost. A holy principle, a holy nature. But in regeneration, there was not the removal of the old nature. There was not the removal of the flesh. There was not the eradication of sin from the life. There is this new man. There is what Paul calls the inward man. And then there dwells within every child of God that nature with which he was born and with which he will die. It's the nature that Paul calls the flesh, the body of sin, the law of sin. It's because it is a sin principle opposed to anything and everything that is holy, that is pleasing to God. 
It loves that which is unholy. It loves that which is unjust. This sin principle loves that, is inclined toward that which is evil. And when you have those two forces dwelling side by side in the child of God, you have a war on your hands. Each one is striving to get the ascendancy in the life. And that war will continue until the day you're called home or the Lord Jesus returns and you see him as he is and you're made like him. But not until then. The fact that there are two enemies within the heart of every Christian has led us to consider the response that the believer is to have to this inner conflict. If you're in a war, you need a strategy. You've got a plan of defense and a plan of offense. Both are needed. Last Lord's Day evening, we looked at just one side of the strategy, the response that you and I are supposed to um, take on board seriously in this holy war. If I know that I am going to be attacked by the enemy, then I want to do everything I can to take away any and every advantage he may have. Therefore, I want to try to weaken him at every turn possible. The weaker he is, the more success I'm going to have in my battle with the law of sin that's in my members. The more control I will have over my tongue, over my thought life, over the sins that dwell within me. I will have more power over them the weaker he becomes. Therefore, we looked at the methods that the people of God must use in order to weaken that body of sin. I'll not rehearse those again for you this evening. Tonight, I want us to look at the other side of the coin. Remember, I said that last week that such is the nature of these two opposing forces within the child of God, that when one is strong, the other is weak. Both natures cannot be in the ascendancy. Both natures cannot be in the ascendancy. Therefore, not only must I weaken the flesh at every turn, I also must strengthen the spirit. I must strengthen that law in my mind. I must give every advantage to this new man, to this inward man that I can. I must supply him with every bit of ammunition. Why in the world would you send someone into battle without ammo, without sustenance, without something to feed their souls, feed their bodies and make them strong, enabling them to fight? It's just as ridiculous to think that we it's, it's just... To think that it's only one side of I've got to weaken, I've got to weaken this sinful nature, this, this, this flesh of mine, and that's all I need to do. Oh, not on your life. You've got to strengthen. I, I must give every advantage I can. To see all that I can do that my spiritual life is not left in a sickened and weakly state. For if I am in a spiritually sickened and weakly state... And then it'll mean one thing for sure. It'll mean that the flesh is very strong. It'll mean that the flesh is very healthy. 
It's hard for me to comprehend the child of God not knowing when he's sick spiritually, when he's weak spiritually, just as you know it when you are that way physically. You know something's not right. I'm not feeling well. I'm not doing well. I'm weak. Surely the child of God knows that. The soul, the inward man, is weak. He needs to go no further to find out why there is such strength to the power of sin and the power of temptation. That inward principle, the law of the mind, is weakened. And I won't win that victory over that sin with which I've been struggling. I won't have any great measure of joy and of peace of heart and mind because sin will rob me of that. And is that the kind of life that you want to live? As a child of God, is that the kind of life you want to live? Day in and day out. So the theme of my message tonight is the strengthening of the new man, the inward man. But before ever getting to the actual points of my message, I want to say right now the answer to this dilemma that I've been spending a number of weeks on, the answer to this dilemma is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It always has been, always will be found in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Paul is experiencing this power of indwelling sin. And so great is that power that in verse 14, he uses some very strong language. The Apostle Paul, not writing biographically in some part of his past life, but right now he says, I am carnal, sold under sin. Those are strong words. I am carnal, sold under sin. The, the word sold there is a very, very vivid word. It's the word used of the selling of a slave. And the slave is one who has, who is, who's under the control of another. Paul says in this verse that like a slave, he feels that he's sold to this foreign power. That's the idea. A foreign power. A power that is in his flesh. A power that he has no control over. I feel like I'm a slave sold to a foreign power over which I have no control. In my battle with sin in my life. It baffles me why there haven't been a few down through the ages of Bible commentators who think that Paul is only speaking about some past experience in his life. As if this could never be the experience of the Apostle Paul at this present time. It just tells me those people don't know their own hearts. And they sure don't know the power of indwelling sin. 
the greatest of saints that have ever walked the face of the earth, the holiest men of God, have explained and expounded this same struggle they've had. Paul has already spoken about his body being the instrument of indwelling sin, the, the, that, that instrument which the flesh uses to carry out its carnal wants and wishes, the members of our body. That is why he makes this distinction in, in verse 18 between the new man and his flesh. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. That's why in verse 23 he speaks of the law that sin is in his members, the members of his body. And that is why he speaks in verse 24 of this body of death. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? Years ago, I, I, I read, I don't remember the particular commentator, but it gave a very vivid picture of what he was drawing from. It was one of the most gruesome ways that uh, men were executed, prisoners were executed in biblical times. They would strap to the prisoner who had been condemned to death a dead body face to face, and they would die a very slow death. The corruption would come across, and you can imagine how agonizing the death as you're sitting there faking, looking into the face of a dead person for weeks on end until you die. Who, Paul says, will deliver me from this body of death? And therefore he knows full well that he does not have the power to do the job. He doesn't have the power to change his flesh. It's entirely too strong to be changed, and indeed it can never be changed. Is there an answer? Yes, there is an answer, and that answer is Christ. Amen. Thou shalt call his name Jesus for he shall save his people from their sins. That's not simply a matter of the point of salvation being born again by the Spirit of God. It's the lifelong experience of the child of God. Ever since the Lord saved me as a boy of 13 years of age, he's been continuing to save me from my sins. That's why, I, that's why I'm not the man I used to be. I'm not the teenager I used to be. I'm not the rebel I used to be. Little by little, he's been delivering me from this body of death. And if you're his, he's been doing the same thing with you. Little by little, he's been transforming us into the image of God's Son. He shall save his people from their sins. His name is Jesus, Savior. Paul knew that even though he had a new man within him, even though the real, can I call him that? Even though the real Paul didn't want any part of sin, yet he knew that by himself he would never ever be able and could never able conquer, conquer this sin. Of himself it wasn't going to happen. And he says here, I've tried. I have tried and I have tried and I have tried. And I've never found the answer within. 
But he knew, he knew that the source of his victory lay with Christ and Christ alone. It would be through Christ, he says. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord that I will be delivered from this body of death, from this law of sin that's in my members. It will be through Jesus Christ. But the very fact that he says it will be through Christ indicates that it will, we will not be passive in this victory. I will say it again. This is not about let go and let God. This is not about yielding as it is understood in modern day Christianity. This is something in which we are very much involved. Even though it is through Christ the source of victories in Him, there is something that it is through Christ that we are delivered. We're not passive. Just as we have to take steps to weaken the flesh within us, At every turn, so there are certain steps we have to take to strengthen the spiritual life within. The thing here to see is that above all else, Christ is the source for everything that we need to be and everything that we need to think and everything that we need to do. He is the only one. Jesus Christ is the only one who can kill your sin. He's the only one who will overcome the evil that lies within. He himself said, did he not, without me, ye can do nothing. Hosea chapter 14, God said, from me is thy fruit found. From me. Therefore, all I want to do now is to point you to the ways in which Christ strengthens our spiritual life and brings about this victory over the flesh. You can call them besetting sins. That's the, that's the well-known usage, although it's really not the meaning of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. The besetting sin that the apostle was referring to there was their unbelief. That was their problem. It was unbelief. Well, why grant you, it is, I think of all sins, it is our besetting sin. Old Matthew Henry said in his comment on Genesis chapter 3, and the sin, the first sin entered the world through Eve. Unbelief is the seedbed of all sin. It is our besetting sin, but whether it be unbelief, whether it be sins of the thought, sins of the tongue, whatever the members are through which this flesh loves to work, I can tell you one thing right now, it will not be done through without the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've got to preface all that I'm going to say with this one particular word that I join with Christ, and that word is faith. Faith. Faith is still the victory that overcomes the world and the flesh and the devil. Faith. The just shall live by faith. The righteous ones shall really live, live, wholly live by faith. It's not that faith in and of itself, delivers us from sin. 
any more than it is that faith is that which delivers us, is, is that which saves us. Because while you're not saved apart from faith, it's not faith that saves you, it's Christ that saves you. Faith is the vehicle, faith is the hand, it's the, the means through which Christ comes to us, it's the means by which we take all that Jesus Christ offers. And when it comes to this battle with the flesh and the battle with sin, Faith is so critical. Faith is the hand that reaches out and takes all the Lord offers. By faith you will overcome. Well, now, that's one thing to say. The just shall live by faith and quote all the various texts of Scripture that underscore that. But what does it look like practically? When it comes to this battle with those sins... Those very sins that you committed this past week, you committed them, didn't you? Amen. Did you not sin in thought, in word, and in deed? Did you? By faith, number one, to strengthen this new man, to strengthen this holy principle, to make him strong to resist the devil and the flesh and the world, rely on the work of Christ. Rely on the work of Christ. Faith is going to bring the child of God inevitably. If it's genuine faith, <laughs> faith is going to bring the child of God into a growing knowledge of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. The object of faith is the key to it all. The object of faith is always Christ. Faith brings us to Him. And with that knowledge of Christ and of Christ's work there comes a corresponding growth in grace. And when there is a growth in grace, there is a growth in that new man. There is spiritual strength that increases. Believe you me, when grace increases, strength increases. When strength increases, you find more power over sin. You're able to cap that tongue. You're able to put a lid on that anger. You're able to squash that pride. You are able to take a humble place before the Lord and seek God and walk Walk with God in holiness of life as that new man is strengthened by the grace of God. You go ahead and make all the resolutions that you want. It's not going to happen apart from this. It's grace. And you see, we come back to this, to this truth again that the way to change a person's behavior is to change their thinking. And the way to change their thinking is by the truth of God's Word. The mind has to be changed. And through that knowledge of the truth, and that spiritual realm, it is the knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ that causes uh, a child of God to grow stronger. He, he will be starved if he is not fed upon Christ. I mean, let's just let's just let's just say it bluntly and plainly. You can teach and preach a lot of things 
a lot of things, a lot of good truths, but I am telling you, Christ is the bread come down from heaven. And the way that any child of God is going to grow stronger spiritually is by being fed upon Jesus Christ, by hearing continually about the scriptures that testify of him. These are they which testify of me, he told them, right? Search them. So we rely on the work of Christ. But again, what does that mean practically? What is it about the work of Christ that I must come to know, I must learn, and I must, I must trust in, in order that I become stronger? And that I find myself enjoying more victory, where before I had faced these same sins and seemed to have loss after loss after loss. It means in the first place to fill your heart and mind with the knowledge of Christ's provision. Christ's provision. What do I mean? By faith. By faith, looking often to Jesus. Ponder that although you have no power in yourself to get this victory over sin... Though you are weary to the point of despair in contending with this sin, yet there is a fullness in Christ that is laid up just for you. All that you will ever need to get victory over sin is found in him. What in the world do you think Paul meant when he said, ask the question, O wretched man, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's how it's going to happen. He believed that. He knew that. That's how he got victory over this flesh of his. It wasn't theory with him. It was real. Very real. You see, you, you, want, you and I want this, this inward man, this, 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 this law of our mind, this holy principle to grow stronger, then we must know and believe that Christ has been exalted up as Peter said in Acts 6, he has been exalted a uh, prince and a savior to give repentance. And if he gives repentance, then that means there is the killing of sin because there can't be repentance if the sin is still alive. You know, it's, you've turned away from it. It's not that you have just felt sorry for it, but you've broken off with it. And that's what we need, isn't it? It's repentance. Now, I know what it's like to say, I'm sorry, Lord, I made a mess of things. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have done that. I wish I hadn't done that. It just made me feel miserable. But that's not repentance. That's not repentance. You turn from it. You break with it. And for the life of me, I have never found a way to work up repentance in my heart. Amen. I can't do that. But Christ has been exalted a prince and a savior to give repentance. 
The fact is, and it's one of those texts of Scripture that are so, I think, oftentimes said without thinking, the fact remains you can do all things through Christ. Christ which strengthens you. You're going to get in a heap of trouble if you're looking to yourself for the strength. Paul never found it in himself. And if Paul never found it in himself, you're never going to find it in yourself. You just have to be locked up to that truth. And until you're locked up to that truth, you'll go looking for all different kinds of ways to get deliverance, to get victory over the sin. None but Jesus can do helpless sinners good and none but Jesus can do helpless saints good. So you fill your mind and your heart believing this, believing this to be true with thoughts like I I am poor and needy. I am as unstable as water. This sin is The sin that's in me is too hard for me. And it's at the very point of ruining my life. I've made many vows and promises to God, but I have broken those vows, I have broken those promises time and again. I've told him I will do better. But it didn't last long. At times I thought, I thought I had the victory. But I was only deceived. But although this is my state, I, here's where the by faith comes in. I can look off to Jesus Christ who is full of grace. He is full of power. And he is able to kill all of these enemies to my soul. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that's where it all starts. That's where it all starts. You begin anywhere else, you're off on the wrong foot. You begin with him. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint, because they were looking to Christ. For they could never find in themselves... And that means by faith, you know, you're going to, if faith is active here, you're going to expect the Lord to help you. You're going to expect it. You're not going to think you've been sent on a vain errand. When Paul said, I thank God through Jesus Christ that I'll be delivered from this body of death, he was expecting the Lord to come and help. So, so you don't despair even when you fail for the hundredth time. You don't despair. 
He is faithful that promised. It behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, it says, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Therefore, the apostle concludes, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we might obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Christ is not going to leave you to perish in your sin. His name is Jesus. He hates that sin far more than you do. It's an enemy to him. He's not going to let you drown in defeat. You may be let go for a long, long time thinking that you're going to drown. But it'll be like Peter as he began to sink in the waves. Lord, save me. Mark says straightway he reached out his hand immediately. Must have seemed like forever, but straightway. Right when you think you're going down in that cesspool of sin, this one whose name is Jesus is going to reach out his hand. So therefore, however feeble you may think your faith is, keep looking to Christ and hang everything on him and every hope upon him. Now, if you'll do that, if you'll do that, you will find that you are abiding in Christ. And Jesus said, He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. And where there is an abundance of spiritual fruit, there is going to be a paucity of the works of the flesh. They don't thrive side by side. So have you filled your mind? with the provision that Christ has made for you in your battle with sin. Fill your heart and mind, secondly, and I mean by relying on the work of Christ, fill your heart and mind with the purpose of Christ. With that eye of faith, look on the death and the blood of Christ on the cross. The strength of the new man comes... It comes especially from a right view of the death of Jesus. You know, I, I think there is a, a, an awful lack of 
appreciation and understanding of the expression, Jesus died for me. It's like the words with many Christians just roll off their tongue, he died for me, but not really understanding what they mean that Jesus died for me. The, 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 the hymn we sang tonight, when it was chosen for this particular purpose, His Robes for Mine. It tells the story of Jesus Christ becoming the object of God's wrath. Why? Because all of my sins were laid upon him. They were imputed to him. They were placed on Christ. He became accountable for all of my unrighteousness. And so God the Father took out his sword of justice and he punished Christ because of my sin. Those very sins that you and I struggle with. He was punished. God's wrath was emptied on him. And he drank that cup of wrath dry. So there's nothing else left for us but love. His blood that was shed literally atoned for. It covered every last one of our sins. God can't find them. He can't see them. They've been hidden away from the sight of God forever. That's what atonement means. It's an actual covering for our sin. It didn't just simply make salvation a possibility. It made it a divine certainty But in that wonderful exchange, God has given to me the perfect obedience and the righteousness of Christ. All of his perfections put to my account, imputed to me. I tell you, the new man is going to be strengthened the more he understands what it means when he says, Jesus died for me. There's too much contentment in this generation with shallow views of the death of Christ. No, no desire to dig deeper. To understand what it means that he is our propitiation. That there is a mercy seat upon which the blood has been applied. And on the ground of the shed blood, we have been accepted by God as righteous as Christ himself. And cannot be condemned. In spite of the many sins that plague us. There is no condemnation for us. Because we were in Christ on the cross. Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Punished in Christ on Calvary. Rose again in him from the dead. Uh, you want to strengthen the new man, then you have right views of Calvary. Not shallow views.
Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Paul said, Christ gave himself for us. There's his death. That, here's purpose, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That's his purpose in dying on the cross, that he would purify us. So there is this divine link between the death of Jesus Christ and my own purity of life. But we often get it wrong. We somehow make, there's a, there, there is this disconnect between Calvary, between the death of Jesus Christ and our own sanctification. We don't connect the dots. We do somehow think that, yes, he saved me by grace. I'm saved by grace, but I'm sanctified by my works. And you're not sanctified by your works. You're sanctified by grace. You're sanctified by the grace of Christ. He died. He died to redeem us from all iniquity. Not just to redeem us, but to purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good work, zealous of holiness. Paul writes in Romans 6 that our old man has been crucified with him that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. You see, the purpose of Christ's suffering and his death upon the cross for his people was that the breaking of power would be of sin over their life. There'd be a breaking of that. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. It's this truth that you and I must depend on if we're going to have this new man strengthened. You can therefore expect the power of Christ's cross to be brought to bear in your life, and faith will. Obviously, if faith is in operation, it's going to look to a crucified Christ. The Holy Ghost is not just going to let you go on and on and on and on and on without looking to a crucified Christ. It's just not going to happen. He's been sent into this world to take the things of Christ and reveal them unto us. And his primary goal for his Christ people is to show them the Lord, who they have, what they have in Christ, and what they are in Christ. And so here we have all these wonderful gospel truths, and we flounder about looking for carnal means and methods to actually overcome sin, and it never works. second thing that we must do to strengthen the new man not only rely on the work of Christ but by faith wait on Christ wait on him I've alluded to this already but I want to stress now this need of waiting on Christ in prayer if we are going to overcome sin waiting on Christ in prayer you and I are not lone rangers in this battle with our flesh you have a captain, and you need to stay continually in touch with the captain in this battle with sin. 
Prayer is the powerhouse, not only of the church, but prayer is the powerhouse of the Christian's life. Communion with Christ is the difference between a dead Christian or a living one, between a fruitful Christian and a barren one. Communion with Christ is the difference. You see, it's when you wait on Christ in prayer that this this new man, this new creation pours out its heart to the Lord. And it's there on, on your knees, all alone with the Lord, that you find your soul filled with grace and supplication. It's in prayer that your faith is strengthened. It's in prayer that your spiritual power is renewed. Don't ask me how it works. I don't need to know how. I just need to pray. I just need to get alone with the Lord every day. The more I do that, the more grace. It's a means of grace. It's a channel. It's a pipeline. I ignore it to my peril. I ignore prayer. I ignore communion. I can tell you what's going to happen. This old flesh is going to go stronger. He's going to rear his ugly head right up. And I will flounder when the temptation comes. You just can't get by without prayer. It's in the place of prayer that God, he puts his finger on sin in your life. It's there he enlightens you with his gospel. It's, it, it's, it's through prayer that we obtain the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll say more about that next week, but it's through prayer that we obtain the power of the Holy Spirit. His influences grow stronger and stronger. We ignore communion with the Lord. Then we pour cold water on His influences. Sin strengthens. Therefore, I conclude that waiting on Christ, waiting on Christ in prayer means much, much more than going through your prayer list and saying the same words over and over and over year after year. I'm not despising a prayer list. But, but folks, if all our praying is simply about healing sister so-and-so's physical ailments and meet our financial needs. I mean, come on. Are we serious? When you want to sit down and talk someone heart-to-heart, you, you know when you're talking heart-to-heart to somebody. 
You, you can tell by the tones and you can tell by the words. You can tell by the emotions that this is a heart-to-heart -heart conversation we're having. It's genuine communion. You're talking to the Lord as if he's real and if he's really there and he's really listening. Because he is really there. And he is really listening. It's not just vain repetitions. I, I don't know how else to explain it. But there's a difference in saying our prayers and praying. It matters not how busy your day is. The words of Jesus Christ to Martha are potent and pertinent. One thing is needful, Martha, and your sister has chosen the better part. She's sitting at my feet. There's one thing that's needful. Watch and pray. Why? That ye enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is without strength. So Jesus says, watch and pray. Jonah said, chapter 2, verse 7, in his little book, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. When I was weak, I remembered the Lord, and I prayed. How long has it been since you've talked with the Lord? and told him your heart's hidden secrets? How long since you've prayed? How long since you've stayed on your knees till the light shone through? How long? Ah, oh, you said grace at your meals. You've had five minutes here, five minutes there. But how long has it been since you've held heart-to-heart -heart communion with the Lord and poured out your heart before Him? How long? John Bunyan said, Prayer will make a man cease from sin, or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. And there is no shortcut here. Oh, the flesh would love to see a shortcut, but there is no shortcut to spirituality. There is no shortcut to holy living. There is absolutely nothing that can take the place of real, solid communion with Christ. You will only weaken the new man without it. 
with it, he grows stronger. So are you praying? As you murmur, as you become despondent about your sins, as you feel the defeat grip your heart, I have a simple question. Are you praying? What's your prayer life like? Thirdly, by faith. You want to strengthen the new man? By faith, feed on the word of Christ. Wait on Christ in prayer, but also feed on the word of Christ. All the Bible, you know, is the word of Christ. That's why I have a little problem with the red letter editions of the Bible. As if it's just the red letters that are Christ's words. The fact is, the Bible says it's all his word. It's all the word of Christ. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. New Testament was written. Christ was the one who gave the law. The author of Hebrews makes it clear. Christ was the one who gave all the scriptures. These are they, he said, which testify of me. And the scriptures are equated with bread. Uh, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. John chapter 5. The people are looking for food, of course. Jesus said, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. So since the word of the Lord... These words are spirit, they're spiritual words, and they are life-producing words. It's through the word of Christ that this new man within us is going to be strengthened. You're in a battle with the flesh, right? Every day. Are you being very fair to your spiritual life if you starve it? Do you really expect it to be strong? If you're neglecting the very bread of life, the very bread of heaven to feed that new man, do you really think it's going to be strong? The word of the Lord is that which equips you to every good work. It's called the sword of the spirit, and that's all about fighting, is it not? Someone must have taken a play on John Bunyan's words. Years ago, I heard a preacher say, this book, referring to the Bible, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. So, do you have a lot of time for the Scriptures? There's a lot of good books, well worth adding to your library, but none of them are the scriptures. None of them are the inspired, infallible Word of God. Why 
what do you think it is that we're in a generation where we as Christians can easily spend two hours watching some flick and have a hard time spending a half hour in the Scriptures? Isn't there something dreadfully wrong in that scenario? Isn't there something sick about that? The flesh loves it. Loves that feeding. All the while, the new man is being starved. Because the word of God is just being set aside. Read your Bibles. Study your Bibles. Obey your Bible. Always looking for Christ in the Scriptures. Finally, by faith, work for Christ. How is a new man ever going to grow stronger if he's not put to work? Working for Christ in his church does wonders for the spiritual life. Wonders. So Paul says in Romans 6, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Present your bodies in the work for the Lord. That's this wonderful way of being refreshing and invigorating and renewing and strengthening and satisfying the soul. I don't believe for one moment you sit back on, well, I won't say it from the pulpit, but you know what I'm talking about, that part of your anatomy. You just sit back and just want it to take it easy. Hogwash, absolute hogwash. You're not going to grow if that's going to be the mindset, the mentality. We've not been called to take it easy. Our rest is in heaven. So we work and we work and we're not trying to work for our salvation not trying to work to get God to accept us, but we give ourselves over to the Lord's work and do whatever we can, whenever we can. And you'll find the new man is strengthened by this refreshing. Yes, it can be so tiring. I, I, I get that. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I'd rather be doing that. I'd rather be tired and weary from just giving myself to the work of God than being tired and worried than giving myself to the work of sin in this world any day of the week. Any day of the week. So look for something that you can do in the work of God. And then do it with all your might. Give yourself wholly to it. That's part four. There's more to come. But there's a whole lot there to take home to heart and to pray over. God read his word on our souls for his name's sake. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Let's seek the Lord together. Father in heaven, in Jesus' name we come. We thank thee for the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. This book is truth. And we thank thee for the spirit of God who gives us light upon this word.
O Lord, for faith to look off unto Jesus. Awaken us, Lord, unto righteousness. Grant us the grace, the mercy that we need to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, that we might overcome these sins which so easily beset us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.